Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 18, which is titled Sleepless in Chicago. The episode aired on February 23rd, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? First, I need to ask, do we know when Sleepless in Seattle came out? I believe it predates this. I okay, say... so this is a cheeky Sleepless in Seattle reference. Yeah, I want to say Sleepless in Seattle was late 80s. Okay. Sorry, I just... It didn't hit me when we were reading the episode title the first time, but now that we're actually saying it out loud, I'm like, huh, that's not subtle at all. Um, <laughs> so the headlines for the week, now that I've completely derailed us... A federal judge allows a lawsuit to move forward claiming that U.S. tobacco makers knew nicotine was addictive and manipulated its levels to keep customers hooked. Holy shit, this only happened in 95. Don't smoke, (laughs) kids. It's bad for you. Don't even start. Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee tie the knot in Cancun. Ooh la la. Ooh, there's going to be a movie sequel about that. (laughs) Um, The Brady Bunch movie opens as the number one movie at the box office this week. Shit, yeah, it does. I feel like I saw this in theaters. Like, I feel like I have a very vague memory of seeing a Brady Bunch movie in the theaters, and I'm betting it was probably this one. I remember seeing it on TV when I was younger. Yeah, this was a this was a heavy and heavy rotation on TBS and TNT while I was home sick or just on the weekends, just randomly this and then a very Brady movie or whatever the sequel was called when it came out. They would just air that as a four hour block all afternoon on Saturday. They were very very snarky parodies of the original show. If I recall correctly. The second one definitely was. This one I feel like might have been a little bit more true to, I don't know. It's been, I've never, I've clearly never gone back and watched this and I don't think I ever will. Why would you? Yeah. Why would I? And drum roll, please. TLC's Creep is the number one song for its fourth week in a row. When the American Mm. populace gets hooked on a song, we just don't want to stop. How soon before we enter uh, Boys to Men territory with TLC here? Like, how soon until it becomes too much? I think eight weeks. Eight weeks? All right. I know the answer because I looked ahead because I pulled the headlines for this stuff. I I think he means what what is too much. Ah, okay. I think a month of TLC is perfectly reasonable. And you still haven't listened to this song yet. (laughs) Nah, I'm good. It's so good, though. Uh, this episode was directed by Christopher Chulak, hopefully I'm saying that right, and written by Paul Manning. Didn't um, one of them go on to do Third Watch? Yes, uh, Chulak, Chulak, however you say his name. He was eventually becomes executive producer here on ER a few seasons down the road, and then um, when Third Watch starts, uh, he jumped over and became, he was executive producer of uh, Third Watch from the pilot episode. We'll just call him Chris C. Chris C., yeah. So for this week, we have a new high water mark for viewers. We're up to 35 million for this week, but still not the high water mark for the season yet. Um, we still got one more episode that's going to outrank this one coming up in a few weeks. But this is our biggest biggest audience by far, thus far, at 35 million. A couple of quick like trivia notes, I guess. They didn't really fit anywhere else in the timeline of this episode so i'm just going to dump them here uh this is noah wiles uh favorite episode so this is carter's favorite episode and uh former well i guess he was current mlb player at the time um jt snow appears as an extra in this episode although i could not find him um this is sourced in multiple different places so i'm pretty confident that it's true 
but I looked and looked and I just couldn't find anybody. I mean, he's the kind of a nondescript looking guy anyway, but I just couldn't find anybody that I could even talk myself into being him. But I just thought it was interesting. So we opened the episode this time around with uh, Carter and Benton and Benton's kind of grumpy. So and we let's let's listen in and find out why. Morning, Dr. Benton. Did you pick up my labs? Right here. Where's Deb? She's sick. Who said she could be sick? What is that? Two feet of necrotic bowel. And what are you doing with it? I am taking it to the desk. Research is picking it up. Soon, I hope. Guy infarcted. Needed a crash hemicolectomy. When? A couple hours ago. Who did the procedure? Jagman. Jagman? Peter! Why didn't you admit the woman with pressure sores? Because her problem is in surgical. Carter. She needs to be debrided. If we don't admit her, she's not going to heal. Look, she's diabetic. Maybe medicine will take her home, but she's not coming on my service. Hey, Peter, those Dale Carnegie classes are really starting to show. It's been on for 48 hours straight. Really? Traded a couple shifts with people last week so he could be with his mom, and now it's... Payback time. Yeah. Carter! There's a cold ground in two. Find a nurse, clean it up, now. Move. Unfortunately, payback rolls downhill. Carter's just here having a good time this morning, and he's honestly just feeling so attacked right now. <laughs> also, that that jar is hideous. Just yeah, that's another hoop moment. Giant, what probably gallon jar? At least, just at full least. Of, of just brown and black flesh. Which that will not be the last time we see that jar this no. episode, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh boy! All right, so for the third episode in a row, which I think. This will conclude our arc here, but we are we are still firmly in Tatiana land with Carol. Uh, and so she's visiting the foster home once again to check on Tatiana. And we learn that she put in an application to adopt her because that whole conversation with Tag went so well last week. But we learn from the social worker, who I think is the same one from last week, right? She's yep. uh, mis- or, or maybe not last week, but two. I can't remember. She's been she's been seen before though, Miss Brown. The woman here is the same social worker that was at the house before. The woman we see later is the same one who came and picked Tatiana up from the hospital. Gotcha. So it's both. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, the the lady at the house lets her know that she's passed her evaluation with flying colors. That at this point we're thinking smooth sailing. She's going to uh, get to adopt Tatiana and. You know, Carol sort of jumps the gun a little bit and wants to run right in and ask Tatiana if she wants to come live with her. And, you know, like they, they make it clear, or at least the lady makes it clear, like this part of the process, you've passed with flying colors, but we're not done yet. Like there's still more hurdles to jump through, but she kind of just blows right past that and just wants to be like, do you want to come live with me? Which, you know, maybe don't get her hopes up quite so much, please. Um, and I have to wonder, like, what is Tag's because the last time tag was involved in the conversation he made it pretty clear that he did not think this was a good idea so has that thinking changed or is she just doing this all kind of independent of him we don't really get a firm answer on that in this episode but um you have to wonder and uh (laughs) she goes and talks to tatiana and the main thing tatiana is concerned about is whether or not carol has a vcr so she's got exactly the right five-year-old priorities in line she just wants to know if she can go home and watch the lion king well and I have to, I have to shake my head a little bit at the at the woman at the foster home because when Carol's like, "Oh, can I ask her if if she wants to come live with me?" the woman's like, "Yeah, I think that'd be okay." Yeah, she probably should have exercised a little restraint there. 
maybe but I mean, don't. But I mean, at the same time, as far as she knows, yeah, Carol's in the clear. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's a nurse. Like, she's clearly financially stable. She's. I mean, she doesn't know any of the stuff that's going to come up later on. So as far as she's concerned, this is probably a, a slam dunk. So, yeah, it's just a messy situation. And it, it's only going to get messier from here. And then after that, in my in my ever-loving quest to get all of the audio between Doug and Mark I possibly can, that that's at least semi-relevant, we have Doug and Mark saying some semi-relevant things. So let's listen in. Hey, Doug. Hey. Mark Green, the future ER attending. <laughs> you found out. Not from you, schmuck. Well, I didn't want to get out, you know, until Morningster made the announcement. Congratulations. Thanks. So what Jen said? She signed on for another year with the judge. In Milwaukee? Oh, no. It's been awful. But if I can make this shot, there's still hope for my marriage. There's hope. Oh. Yeah, don't know about that one, Chief. My sweet yeah. summer child. Even Doug, who's like the eternal optimist, even he was like, ooh, in Milwaukee? Like, you could tell the, the tone of his voice is just like, ooh, buddy. It's all just a mess. Also, those bathroom noises are ridiculous. It's just like, <laughs> like it was fine on the episode. You don't notice it too much. But when it's just that audio, just that running water is just like, is that water or pee? Why not? Especially both? since when they when they come in, Doug is fully like hands on his junk, still piss, like taking he, a piss. Yep. I just like the fact that Doug calls Mark a schmuck on. I, I did like on that too. Basic cable or on basic uh, network TV. Is there something, is there a reason why that wouldn't be like, I don't know, just seems, just not a word you hear very often, so. Yeah, it's not a like, it's not a slur or anything, but I, I do feel like in certain circles it would be considered like kind of a, a, a semi-profane term, like it would just be, it just like she said, like, like Lizzie said, it wouldn't be something you would normally hear on a network show. Hmm, okay, today I learned, or had pointed out to me rather. And then we get Susan's first patient of the day. This gentleman comes in with a rash on his chest. He has a fever. We find out that he is a test subject for experimental drugs. He's like, yeah, I read those ads in the newspaper and they pay me real well. Like some of them are injecting isotopes directly into my radioactive isotopes directly into my brain. And, you know, I just take all sorts of pills. Here they are. You can go through them. And Susan's like, well... We need to figure out, like, which one of these is causing your interactions. And they all have just, like, X52, B7, like, just these code <laughs> names on them with, with phone numbers. So Susan's like, all right, we're going to have to go through these and find, and, like, contact to find out who's call who's causing this. But your days as a test subject are over. Yeah, I mean, and not so much the experimental drugs aspect of it, but it is very common for patients to show up not only to emergency rooms, but also to just like any sort of medical setting with uh, just a plastic bag or a grocery bag full of pill bottles. Like even in my capacity as a personal trainer, like I used to have to do health evaluations on new potential new clients when they would come in. And frequently, like we were sort of the the center I worked for was like loosely affiliated with a hospital, so we'd get a lot of patient referrals, people who got mm. referred by their doctor, and there would pretty regularly be people who would just bring in very similar to this guy, just a grocery bag full of pill bottles, and just like kind of plop it down on my desk, like here you go, sort this out. Jesus. So yeah, that 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 definitely struck a personal chord with me. 
why would they need to give you their their medication i guess um we would ask questions on health questionnaires as far as like what medications are you taking because we wanted to basically it was in very broad terms we wanted Mm. to know if they were on any you know blood thinners or if they were on blood pressure medication that might make them dizzy if we put them on a treadmill like you know we just wanted to know ahead of time if there was anything we needed to be aware of um and some people would take that very seriously and be like well i'm just gonna bring the medicine in and it was it was always fun to try to you know parse through that and most of the time i would just kind of push it to the side and be like well that's nice i don't don't need to see your pills but uh you know like pills here well so susan does the same thing she takes the bag away and is like all right your testing days are over then she walks out of the room and malik just kind of leans over and goes hey how much you make a year he just asks it real sly under the table and the guy just goes loads malik has a new career option see how that works out for him but after that we go to benton and hicks discussing his aforementioned 48 hour working streak and how he's not doing so well so let's listen in you stick mr penny for his blood gas stuck him all right discharge the abs this need your signature uh dr hicks a bowel infarction came in this morning i wasn't called You've been trading shifts again. That's irrelevant. I was the resident on call. And as a result, you've been on for 48 hours straight. I don't see what that has to do with it. Have you slept at all, Peter? Look, I require very little sleep. I am perfectly capable of handling my patients. You shouldn't be treating patients in your condition, much less doing surgery. I've never done a bowel infarction. Jagman has done too. Oh, for God's sakes, Peter, this isn't a competition. Oh, no? (laughs) Then why are we required to keep logs of every procedure that we do? As a record, not a scorecard. Oh, yeah, right. You're keeping score and you know it. That's enough. I'm concerned that your fatigue is impairing your judgment. Find a room, lie down two hours. That won't be necessary. This isn't a suggestion. You will not see another patient until you've slept. Got it? Whew. I, I love Hicks. Because, you know, Benton was going to take that order real well. You know, telling Benton not to work. Again, don't know about that one. No. The level of, like, professional intensity between them is just, like, so good. It's just so, like, with Langworthy, it was more about, like, a rivalry thing with, like, a very, very light hint of a romance thing towards the very end. Um, Whereas this, like, there's no rivalry here. Like, there's, he's not in competition with her. He's trying to, like, she's clearly a level above him. And the way that he just doesn't know how to handle that is very like it it makes for very very strong interactions like this one well yeah that and just the way he pushes just like i'm fine i'm perfect like just it'll be fine like (laughs) calm down benton it's not a big deal get your life together clam your tits child clam your tits it's so good to hear benton being put in his place also what the fuck 48 hours straight and he hasn't slept at all even yeah and he's like, like no i don't need sleep i'm fine i require very yeah, little sleep I, I re- what a f- shut up you automaton like just get out of here i eat my bran muffins and have no feelings i'm fine and then we come in with some bangs and then we flip over and mark and susan are discussing experimental drug guy and susan's like well shit the medical team won't take him what am i supposed to do like i can't i can't sort through all of his stuff and Mark's like, oh, you just need to talk to so-and-so with a gentle touch. Don't yell at her. Let me take care of it. I'll, I'll take care of it for you. And we come back to this a little bit later. But Mark's going to try and do Susan a favor here. And then while we're at the admin desk, 
uh, Doug is walking by and Jerry lets him know that Diane Leeds has called to ask him out, to go out with him. And Doug's like, really? And Jerry's like, lol, nope, it's about the dude you punched. She needs <laughs> she needs to talk to you about that because she's got to cover your ass. And then in true Doug fashion, he just quips back, have I ever told you you're my least favorite clerk? And then Jerry, of course, Team Jerry, snaps back with, I'm not a clerk, I'm an emergency services coordinator. And he's so proud <laughs> when he says it. I love it. And then I have to point out here, Jerry is wearing a sweater with a t- with a red t-shirt underneath and his admin jacket over that. Like, it's got to be freezing in that ER or he's just a monster. Jerry's a chilly boy. Jerry's a chilly boy. And then I also noticed, and I don't know why this never stuck out to me before, but I see Doug pinning on his little like photo ID badge underneath his name tag. And I was just wondering, is this something I've just been ignoring for the past like 18 episodes? Do we see them wearing these all the time? Yes. Almost all of them wear them. I, I wouldn't say they're always wearing them, but with a fair amount of regularity and it is, it gets more prevalent as the show goes on because it became a prop thing and you can actually see a lot of them on the like wb lot tour i've seen pictures of them on instagram where they're just kind of hanging out behind glass like i've seen um i've seen john stamos's for sure like there's a lot more from the later seasons i've seen john stamos's i think i've seen archie's um and a couple other ones i'm i'm blanking on but yeah, there's all sorts of like little fun props on there. Uh, supposedly, John, you know, spoiler for way down the road. Supposedly, uh, John Stamos has one of the doors to the ER in his house, like <laughs> one one of the like glass doors with the uh, County General logo on it. It's just like a door to like a closet in his house. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I want that. I want to go on this tour. Vacation time. <laughs> Bonus episode. Lauren and Lizzie go to the WB lot tour. Whoa, I don't I don't get to go to. I mean you can come. You wanna save up your third? Jeez, I know where I stand. It is tax season. Gotta get that fat fat return. We love you, Daniel. Of course you can come with us. <laughs> uh but after all of that nonsense, we uh have a little quick cut over to Carter trying his very best to just be like, Benton, go the fuck to sleep. You know, in much nicer terms. He's like, Hey, exam four's open and Benton's just like why are you talking to me? Why are you like, telling just, me this? Yeah, just glaring at him. Just brushes him off, walks away. So, of course Benton's not going to take a nap when he's been ordered to. Benton? Listen to a superior? Listen to a woman? Never. I don't think it's a woman thing. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying. We've had the whole A thing last episode. He never listened to Langworthy. Now he's not listening to Hicks. He doesn't listen to Susan with the appendectomy thing. Like, I've never yeah. heard him tell Mark, no. I've never heard him... Okay, he did tell he did tell Doug off. But I'm just saying, more often than not, they're putting him in conflict with women. That might just be a writing thing. I don't think it's, like, blatantly, like, Benton's a sexist prick. Or no. Or like that, but... <laughs> but I'm just saying that eh, she's a woman. He's just a, he's just a prick. He's not a sexist prick. He hates everybody equally. <laughs> oh, God. Yep, bringing that t-shirt back. Moving on. So then we check back in to see how Mark is making progress with the medical team for Susan. 
And he totally throws Susan under the bus while he's talking to this woman. He's like, oh yeah, Susan Lewis has a patient down here and he's got all these pills and she doesn't quite know how to handle it. Can you do me a favor and help her out? Just Those are the sounds of the wheels going over Susan's career. And I feel like she doesn't really like she shows like odd, like visible like frustration with the fact that he's doing this or exasperation but she doesn't like i feel like two episodes ago she would have torn his head off for that whereas she seems to have gotten over the little like professional anxiety thing very quickly like now she's just sort of like mildly annoyed and it's a fun haha thing like you know whereas two episodes ago she would have been like you're trying to undermine me and am i incompetent and blah blah, blah whatever you know like she's just i don't know I guess it's just reflective of where they are at this point. For sure. All right. So then from there, we jump over and Doug is, is this Doug's first patient of the episode? I think it is. Yes. It's a little girl with a burn on her hand from, uh, ostensibly from a radiator in the kitchen. Um, And of course, you know, Doug is always good with the kiddos. He's always, we always get glimpses in these interactions of why Doug is a pediatrician. Like he's just good at this. But he jumps out with Carol and they're kind of talking between the two of them. And he's like, I've never seen the, the, the burn mark that's on the child's hand is star shaped. Um, and he makes a point of saying that I've never seen a star shaped radiator knob before. Um, so they immediately suspect abuse. And the little girl kept, keeps saying over and over again while she's in there that it's her fault. And it just seems like a very messy situation, which we're going to we're going to come back to. Um, but just quickly, the, uh, the little girl keeping it with our theme with Tatiana of little girls who grew up to be much more famous and kind of internet sensations for a bit. The little girl there is played by an actress named Alexa Vega, who would later go on to be, um, in the spy kids movies, which was kind of her big role at, I would say like early preteen years. Probably she was like 11, 12, 13 at the time. But she's gone on and done other things since. But she's like kind of she was definitely as of a few years ago, she was kind of a big deal on the Internet. She was kind of one of those like she grew up to be really pretty people. But this, I think, was her very first role. Oh, cool. Yeah. Spy Kids was definitely a big part of my childhood. I was right in their target market when those movies came out. So yeah. I'm very familiar with Alexa Vega. And also she was in Repo, a genetic opera with Anthony Stewart head from Buffy and Paris Hilton. And then after that, we have our sort of comic relief patient for the episode. Guys dragging an elderly man who had a quote unquote seizure in the restaurant that the guy owns and obviously does the right thing when you think someone has a seizure and you don't know them, bring them to the hospital. And the dude, you know, wants the elderly guy to call him because he didn't pay for his $35 steak or something like that. It was like the steak and champagne brunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So racked up a little bit of a tab and didn't pay it. So dude wants to dude wants to get paid. Yeah. He gives him the card and is like, have him call me when he wakes up. He didn't pay his tab. <laughs> and I was just sitting there like as somebody who p- could potentially have a seizure during a meal, like no shit. I'm not going to pay my tab. I got other shit going on right now. Like how would you even handle that? I don't know, but this doesn't seem like the the way to do it. And then we go and we see our first big trauma of the episode. The neighbor found this gentleman collapsed and an EM and the EMTs could not really get a good line in. Benton is calling the shots during this trauma, which I noted is probably no bueno. I was just waiting for something to go wrong here. 
based on how much they're saying you need to sleep. You need to sleep. The gentleman's name is Joseph Klein. He has congestive heart failure, a broken rib, no voice box. So he's trying to, um, to like speak or mouth things to Carter or someone and they can't hear him or understand him because he can't talk. He, he has no voice. So Carter at least helps him get morphine because he's in pain, but you can't, we can't tell what else that, that he's trying to say, but he looks very distressed. They think it's because he's in pain. So Carter's at least like, can we get him morphine? Can we take care of him? Yeah. Cause Benton's just like starting to slice into this guy with no, nothing. Yeah. N- with no drip, with no pain relief or anesthesia drugs in this guy's system. Yeah. And I think Benton just tr- tries to start a central line with nothing. Yeah. Like, oh. dude, come on. Yeah, you kind of spend this whole episode with the, not the fear, but like the anticipation that this is going to be the time that Benton fucks up because he hasn't slept. Like every time we see him, it's always like, this is going to be the time. This is going to be the time. Because it it just kind of breeds this whole like sort of just kind of anxiety about like, we know he's, he's sleep deprived and we know he's going to be more prone to making a mistake. So we think every time we see him, that's going to be the time. Well. It will be the time. <laughs> well, it will be the time eventually. So Mr. Klein is played by a guy named Sanford Meisner. So several things about him. Um, number one, uh, he really did have a laryngectomy. So that was legit. That oh. was like, that was totally real. And his main thing was that he is a very famous acting coach. Um, he, If you've ever heard like um, actors talk about when they were studying or when they were first studying to be an actor, a lot of them will talk about um, working with the Meisner method. And that comes from this guy. Um, he was he had trained all sorts of really, really famous actors, um, people like Gregory Peck, like old school Hollywood people. Um, he was involved in, in their initial training. And this is one of his uh, last roles. Um, he didn't have very many. For He was a famous acting coach, but he didn't have very many on-screen acting credits. Like he had, I think, maybe like nine or 10 total. Um, and this was one of them. Um, and I think he has one more appearance in like a, a short film or something before he passes away in 1997. But of course, as we'll see as, as the episode goes on, him and Carter have quite a bit of interaction with one another. And I suspect that this probably has a lot to do with why this is um, Noah Weil, Carter's favorite episode. I think having the opportunity to work huh. with this guy on screen, I think is probably a, was a, probably a big deal for him. Yeah, that and... Carter, for sure, is just gold star in this episode. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, and working with a guy who can't speak, you know, I feel like only heightens sort of the level to which you've got to carry some of the the load there. And I feel like he does a really good job. Yeah, or at least how you have to translate some of that emotive behavior. Right, In a way that the audience can really latch on to. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be here with us for most of the episodes, so we'll check back in with them a little bit later. Um, But for now, we go back and check on our seizure, you know, air quotes, seizure patient, uh, who totally, like, peeks at Susan and uh, Malik smokes him out right away. And he's like, this dude just opened his eyes, like, or opened his eye. Um, but they do, in the terms, in, in the the process of evaluating him, they do detect that he does have an irregular heartbeat. So he does have a legitimate medical issue that they need to treat, if they can just get him to stop bullshitting about his fake medical issue. 
So in order to scare him a little bit, Susan calls for a rib spreader, which causes the guy to open both of his eyes real wide. And uh, I think, is it Susan says hell of a way to get a free meal? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so then from there, they find out that, or they, they search his belongings and trying to find his name. And they discover he's got several. He is a bit of a con artist, which we're going to see play out time and time again in this episode. Um, he's going to be playing some tricks on some of the rest of the staff, namely Jerry. And I I just wanted to point out here, Susan does lean over after this and she goes, okay, we know you didn't have a seizure, but you do have a real medical condition that we would like to treat while you're here. Like... Yeah, yeah. They're when you're like, done having your coma. Right. So uh, the cod man here is played by an actor named Danny Dayton, who had uh, 92 credits to his name on IMDb, including um, films such as Guys and Dolls, uh, Ed Wood, and the original Wonder Woman, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Um, and he passed away, unfortunately, in 1999, which I feel like sort of expected that seeing his age here in 1995 so we'll be seeing more of him throughout the rest of the episode and then after that we go back over to our trauma with mr klein uh hicks has come into the trauma room and to see benton put a chest tube in and she she's less less than thrilled let's let's say that that's an understatement yeah and she just basically just barks at benton she says i'll take it from here Either get some sleep or go home. I won't tell you again. And which is fair. Like, yep. Ben being awake for 48 hours straight. I wouldn't want someone who's been awake for 48 hours straight putting a chest tube in me. I wouldn't want them serving me coffee, let alone putting a chest <laughs> tube in me. Exactly. And like, bitch, go the fuck to sleep. Come on. And while this is going on, the nurses have been looking for his chart, and Connie brings his chart in and hands it to Carter. And what do we find out? Mr. Klein has a DNR because of some terminal cancer that he's got going on, uh, which, of course, several things that they have just done to him have violated that. So they, to their credit, though, they immediately stop what they're doing and pretty much stop coding him. Mm-hmm. And he's good kept him going but you know they're not gonna give him any life-saving drugs they'll just keep him comfortable pretty much they'll and what's gonna happen is gonna happen so with dnrs is there just a fine line between okay we can make you comfortable but we can't resuscitate you if you stop breathing or your heart stops essentially yeah it's an explicit Mm -hmm. line between okay i can give you morphine like, you know, for pain right. and comfort or whatever. But I can't give you, like, epinephrine. This right. is, like, one that they use a lot when someone's in cardiac right. arrest. Yeah. So, like, we can give you nausea medication. We can give you morphine. But we're not going to give you epinephrine. We're not going to do the paddles. We're not going to yeah, bag not, you. We're not going to put it. We're not going to put intubate you. We're not going to do any of that shit. Intubation yeah. hurts. Like, I'm just going to yes. say that I've I've gone under general surgery three times now. And every time when I've come out, my throat has hurt like the dickens from having that breathing tube put in. It's not fun, kids. I don't recommend it if you if you can avoid it. Did, was that your experience when you had your appendectomy, or did they ju- were they able to just do a nose oxygen for you? I 
don't remember. I do remember my throat was sore they when probably, I came out of it. They probably tubed you then. Yeah, same thing when I had my uh, disc replaced in my neck yeah. last year. Yeah, they probably tubed you then. It's not fun. Just yeah. so, that's why you want to chew on ice chips for like three hours after is because it helps with the soreness. Sorry, sidetracked, but <laughs> it just reminded me of that. And then after this poor, poor man... You know, I'm glad they at least realize they fucked up and they just do what they can to make him comfortable from here. But then we switch over to Doug and Mark coming down this that main stairwell and we hear Doug exasperatedly saying, you and Jen are going to go another year like this? And Mark's like, I guess we're going to have to. And right as he's saying that, this other gentleman comes up and interrupts them and is like, hey, I need, are you, are you Mark Green? I need to speak to you. And Doug's like, all right, see ya. And this is a huge, oh, hey, it's that guy. Um, Daniel, do you want me to let you take this first, or can I say what I noted first? Oh, you can say what you know him from, because I did the same thing. Okay, so I totally recognize, it took me a minute, I was, like, on the edge of my seat, screaming, trying to figure out who this gentleman was, and then I remembered, it's the guy who plays Lizzie McGuire's dad. That's where I know him from. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where on, I Daniel. know him from. Uh, Yay. He's our, our main guest star, I guess you could say, for this episode. Uh, actor named Robert Carradine. Um, and yes, probably for people of our age group, I feel like there's going to be a lot of recognition as Lizzie McGuire's dad. Um, for people who were fans of the show at the time, he was probably more well-known for Revenge of the Nerds, uh, which uh, he co-starred in with uh, Anthony Edwards. Um, huh. Yeah, so... They had worked together before. He was also in uh, Escape from L.A. Um, so he's got he's definitely like the quintessential like, oh, hey, it's that guy. Like he pops up in a lot of different stuff. Um, but certainly for people of our age, the Lizzie McGuire connection is definitely going to be the most prolific one. See, I've never seen a single episode of Lizzie McGuire, but I've seen Escape from L.A. probably at least 50 times in my life. Did you recognize him from Escape from L.A.? I did not. It just, like I just looked on his IMDb. It just says skinhead. So yeah, I mean, I don't think he had a big part in it, but he was there. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds is definitely his like signature role, other than Lizzie McGuire. Like he was in that and the sequel. So now I want to go onto Disney Plus and just watch all of Lizzie McGuire and see how it's aged. I may have to do that. But so Robert Carradine is playing a guy named John Koch. 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 He pronounces it Koch. It's spelled like Coke, okay. but yeah. John, I already forgot Koch. what Koch. It's just such an ugly pronunciation. Um, <laughs> it's Koch without the R. Okay, it's Crotch without the R. Got it. John Koch is shadowing Mark for how he does his job because he is an, a student at MIT Sloan of Man, School of Management. And he is doing research for the Andover Project, which has been covered on CNN, building a hospital for the 21st century looking to be more collaborative less department infighting and then he says oh i couldn't help but overhear your dilemma why don't you look at kenosha it's a midpoint between uh milwaukee and chicago an hour each way save you and your wife both time <laughs> so he in this episode is just kind of everybody's medical little fairy godmother he just comes up with solutions for everybody's problems all right, and then from there, we're uh, going back to check on Mr. Klein. Carter goes in to check on him um, and apologize for what happened in the trauma room. Um, he's awake. Like, this, like, it's very obvious that this guy is a very gifted acting coach because, like, he 
doesn't say a word the entire episode. Obviously, he can't. But he still manages to convey so much emotion just from his facial expressions and the like visible discomfort of his body. Like he communicates so much and he never says a word. Um, so good. It's so good. You know, he's trying not to cry. He looks very distraught. You know, um, Carter is just kind of spiraling, trying to find any way to make up to this man what has happened to him you know make it better a little bit you know so he's trying to find out if he has any family that he can call for him and very painfully you know through first mouthing and then you know very labored writing on a pad um, he's able to get out that he has a son named Roger that lives in Bloomington is there a Bloomington Illinois I feel Mm -hmm. like okay because there's also a Bloomington up here too so I feel I, I was like which one is it so the his name is Roger Klein. So Carter is like he like latches on to this. Like he's just like, yes, this is I can make this better. I can fix this. Um so he like runs off to go look for Roger and try to try to and he's got nothing other than a name and a city. So he's going to be on a little bit of a, a wild goose chase here. But again, just so much emotion conveyed by this guy. And he doesn't have to utter the first syllable of a word. Like everything is all physical. It's all on it, written on his face and in his body language. And it's just so, so. You can just feel his pain and his heartbreak. It's so good. Yeah. Like there hasn't been an episode that's made me want to cry in a little while, but this one definitely comes close a few times. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, most definitely later on. I thought I was going to, but then I didn't. <laughs> cool story. Exactly. And then we go over to Carol asking Lydia if she wants to be the charge nurse because Carol is, oh, so, so catapulting so hard because she says, oh, yeah, Tag and I are beginning to become foster parents. And Lydia's like, the fuck? Like, seems like a very tough way to start off a marriage, you know, adopting a child with AIDS. They're checking up on the con man guy who is just sort of just hanging out still being his semi-unconscious, his fake unconscious self. But as soon as they sort of walk away to go do other stuff, he starts unplugging himself from all of his monitors and just throws on his coat and just starts to run away. But not too far. Well, then Benton is in his little nap-nap room because he's cranky and is grounded. And Carter comes in to grab something and is like, oh, I'm sorry if I woke you up. And Benton's like, no, it's fine. I'm not asleep. What's up? Um, you need to, you need to check the charts and bring anything surgical to me right away. And Carter's like, we can't do that. We need to be called for a consult first. And Ben's like, it doesn't matter. Bring it to me first. Now go. Carter's like, what the fuck? Okay. And so Carter leaves little Benton's minion this episode. And Benton's like checking his watch in this dark room, like stuck in time out because he fucked up with Hicks. So I, again, this can only have wonderful consequences. Something has to go wrong this episode for Ben. It just has to. Um, And and it's extra shitty because not only is now is he putting patient safety at risk, but he's also, he's also pulling Carter into his vortex where it's, you know, like he knows he has a power dynamic over Carter so he can make Carter do whatever he wants. And, I don't know. It's just like he's just compiling his shittiness here. He's not like learning anything. It's his little web of insanity. He's not taking a moment to chill out. He's just actively making things worse. Oh, goodness. 
And then we go back to the little girl with the burnt hand. And Doug pulls her mom into the hallway to talk to her for a moment. And Daniel, who's who's the woman who plays the mom? Uh, it's an actress by the name of Nancy Youngblood. Not Youngblood, Youngblood. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I felt the need to like clarify that. But her most famous credits were: um, she seems like she had a recurring role on Weeds, uh, the movie Shooter, and uh, Shameless. I think she was one of like the bitchy soccer moms on Weeds, like on the PTA. It's very possible. I've seen like a few scattered episodes of Weeds, but never really like Ooh. dived into it. I'm looking it up right now. Because Lizzie has watched all of Weeds at least twice through. Yeah, she's one of, you know, the bitchy, um, I can't even remember her name. I just rewatched like four seasons of Weeds in like a week. She's a friend to one of the yeah the bitchy mom the bitchy mom who runs for city council. Oh yeah, I can't remember her name either, but I know who you're talking about. She's one of her like cronies. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, she's she's a B character, just bitchy wine mom. But we find out that this daughter was seen at another hospital for the very same type of burn recently. The daughter's name is Bonnie, and. Bonnie's mom says, oh, you know, most people don't understand. And Carol's like, hold on, let me talk to her. Carol pulls her into another, um, into a side, like, one of the smaller trauma rooms to talk to her without Doug. Because clearly the mom was uncomfortable talking to Doug. And the mom's like, well, you know, you have to promise not to tell that doctor if I tell you. But it's not that big a deal, really. And Carol's full of shit. And I was like, yeah, I promise. You can tell me. BFFs, what's up? Um, <laughs> and we find out that Bonnie has been playing with herself. And this girl is probably, what, like three, four years old? Yeah, if that. Totally, yeah. totally natural stage of life for a little kid to just be fiddling with themselves. Like, nothing sexual about it. They just do it and you tell them not to and eventually they learn. But this mom, fucking crazy... Tells Bonnie not to, gives her three chances to stop, and then uses a warmed-up paperweight from the stove to set on her hand as a deterrent. And she's like, oh, it's not as bad as it sounds. My mother did the same thing to me. And she shows her hand, and it has the exact same starburn as Bonnie has on hers. That's going to be a yikes for me. Yep. And it's just like, she was like, oh, you know, I just left it on the stove a little too long. Because this girl has second degree burns on her hand. Like, it's blistered. It's awful. And it's just, just don't be shitty to your kids, guys. Perpetuating cycles of trauma never hurt anyone. No, it's fine. So (sighs) Carol's like, okay. And they walk out of the room. And as they walk out, we pass by and somebody's jerry's like when is somebody gonna come pick up this bowel the giant jar of disgustingness is still sitting on the nurse's station (laughs) and he moves it he moves it over by carter and then carter immediately moves it right back to where it was (laughs) poor jerry can't escape it and speaking of jerry our lovely con man unknown name man of mystery uh comes up and is like because jerry has the petty cash box out because they have run out of taxi vouchers and they want to get they want to get a ride for one of their patients and guys like hey can i get some change for a 20 and there's a very elaborate set of 
hey, give me this. No, now I'll give you this. Hey, you didn't give me all of this. Hey, here's this. Yeah. And we watched it like twice or three times, and we could not for the life of us, Lauren and I, figure out what the fuck he accomplished with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Jerry still had all the change, and the guy only had his 20. Like, I was looking, I was like, oh, he's just like... Jerry's just gonna like knock something over and he's just well, gonna reach in and take the petty cash or he, something. He puts a dollar in his pocket at one point, but then when he does that, he then goes ahead and gives Jerry like exact change back anyway when Jerry calls him out and is like, hey, this is only 19. So we cannot figure out where there was a gain to be made by this con man unless he slipped a dollar when we weren't looking. Which that seems like a lot of work for a dollar. Yeah. Well, it's... I, meant, I meant like a bill in general. But yeah, so we have no idea what the fuck he did. It's real it, strange. Watchers, viewers, listeners, please go watch this scene eight times, each of you, <laughs> and together with the collective mind power, we will figure out what the hell was accomplished on this scene. Please go rewatch and let us know. It's going to drive me nuts. So we go from there. Uh, Carter has done Benton's bidding, and uh, he's giving. we see him giving Benton a history for a chart that he swiped. Uh, looks like it's a kidney stone uh, that is, I don't know, I guess impacted or like it's it's a surgical uh, case. Um, so Benton insists taking him up himself and takes Mark's patient right out from under him before he has a chance to examine him and call for a consult, which Mark is none too happy about. But he kind of like acquiesces to it a little bit. Like he's just sort of like, OK, fine. And just tells Benton, don't pull this crap again. Like, it's it's rare to see Mark kind of pull the rank on Benton. But you can tell that he's very displeased with the way Benton just kind of went over his head on this one. It's kind of swooped in. It's more of that territorial bullshit, which... Right, which his whole dispute was with Hicks. I mean, so Mark, I'm sure, doesn't enjoy being caught in the middle of their little power struggle. You know, I'm sure he's just like, look, man, I'm just trying to get... He doesn't have a dog in the fight. He's like, I just want to get yeah. my shit done. I just want to cover my own ass, at least. Yeah. Not cool, Benton. Not cool. So we'll see if this pays off for Benton, though, in a little bit. Um, in the meantime, we see Mr. MIT, John Coach. Why can I not say his name? Koch. Yes. It's just... Right? Koch? Mr. MIT, John Doctor Man. Um is talking to Susan and it's like, and see, that's the exact kind of stuff I'm talking about. He who yells loudest is right. Like, that's not going to happen at my hospital. It's going to be all collaborative and everybody's going to get along. Each floor is going to be interdepartmental and blah, blah, blah. Like, he's totally speaking Susan's language after all the conflicts that she's had going on. And she's just looking at him, just totally digging what he has to say. Like, yeah, that could work. That does sound really good. Like, she doesn't say any of this, but just the face is just like, yeah, I'm with you on this. So, like, he's he's just, just weaving this spell for everybody in the office. And then we flip back over to Bonnie and her mom, and Bonnie's mom's like, oh, you know, I'd really like to take her home. They had said that, that she had to wait for the plastic surgeon to come and look at Bonnie's hand, but the mom's not falling for it. She's like, I'd really like to get her home. Um, so Doug's like, oh, let me... The radi- Oh my god. Doug is like, the plastic surgeon wants to run a few more tests on Bonnie's hand. We need to take her up to radiology. So Carol takes Bonnie and 
um, the mom's like, oh, I'd like to go with her. And Doug's like, oh, it's hospital policy. You really need to stay here. And as Carol's walking out, two police, two or three police officers show up just in time. Doug catches the mom before she can lunge after Bonnie and grab her. And the cops help Doug restrain her. And the mom is screaming at Carol, calling her a lying bitch for taking her child away. And Carol just walks away, just, you know, trying to keep her composure as she gets this girl to safety. So, oi, just don't be an asshole to your kids, guys. Don't perpetuate the cycles of trauma. Now we go back. Uh, we have our lovely kidney stone patient again. <laughs> A little quick payoff with this guy. You know, they're up in, this, they're up in uh, the operating room. They're all freaking out like, oh my god, oh my god, we gotta get this we gotta get this guy under, we gotta do all this shit right now. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And he passes the kidney stone. <laughs> yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Thing's fucking huge. It's like the size of a thumbnail. Yeah. Which ow. He peed that. Yeah, I've never thankfully I've never experienced anything quite like this, but just I'm knocking on our desk because I haven't either and I do not want to start. I, yeah. I haven't either, but Nurse Jen has in the past Ooh. and she hers was like a tenth of the size of this guy's and I thought she was going to die. Like she was like doubled over in pain. Like it is no joke. Well, yeah, because they're sharp. Right. And they're going down a tunnel that shouldn't have sharp things being passed down it or no. solid things. No, no, no. Ouch. And then, complete tonal shift. We flip back to Carter, and he's checking in on Mr. Klein. He's like, oh, you know, I saw in your records that before before your cancer diagnosis, you were an English teacher. You know, would you like me to bring some books? We have a pretty extensive library here. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't find your son. How long has it been since you spoke to him? We find out that it's been 20 years since Mr. Klein last spoke to his son. So Carter's just like, oh, okay. You know, I'll be, I'll be back. I'm going to go check on some patients and then I'll, I'll be back to see you. So we leave them with that. And then Mr. Conman bumps into Mark, swipes his wallet, and then bitch is like, oh, six measly bucks. Come on. It's like, yeah, we've determined Mark is not exactly flush with cash. Like, dude, you're ripping off ER doctors. What the fuck do you expect? He probably thinks doctors, money. I was going to say, yeah. Have you been to an urban ER? Apparently he hasn't. And then we we go back to the nurse's station, the admit desk, and we see Mark, Susan, Lydia, Carter, and Jerry all giggling around something we can't quite see. And like, they're just like, hold on, He's coming. He's coming. And then Benton walks up and grabs a chart, and he's like, what are you all looking at? And then he looks down at what we couldn't see, and it's a sign, and it says Jagman's Bowel and Benton's Stone, and it's got arrows pointing down at the <laughs> giant bowel jar and the tiny little uh, plastic bag with the stone in it. And he's just like, you people have too much time on your hands. And then he runs. he walks away, just super grumpy. Which I don't really... I don't know. Maybe I'm just sensitive, but I don't really get why they would make fun of that. I think it's because he's been such an asshole all day. I mean, I guess, but it just seems like a really, it seems like a reach is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's them just trying to find their fun where they can. And they know that 
Benton's a dick and he's got thick skin and just right. Benton, they're just trying to take it out on him. Yeah, not only is Benton a dick, but it's very rare that like Benton gets his comeuppance. Like it's very rare that bad things happen to Benton. So it's you know sort of a harmless way of just cutting him down to size a little bit of just like you know lighten up pal like you don't have to be an asshole all the time right because not a lot of them probably know what's going on with his mom either like to the extent of how serious it is yeah so they might just be thinking like oh (laughs) benton finally like fucked up a surgery or he finally didn't get to mr knife jockey didn't finally get to cut in like he wanted or something like that they might not have they might not be seeing the whole picture with them making this joke. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't really find it funny. So that's fair. Uh, speaking of not funny things, uh, Carol and Doug are got our next audio clip. Uh, Carol and Doug are talking about Bonnie and just different things like that. And Doug's just kind of looking like he kind of got mauled by a raptor after with the cut on his neck with some. Pretty lousy prosthetic work, honestly, Luke. It's very clearly see the edges of the wound. I was like, took me out a little bit. It looks like the Jurassic Park 3 logo. (laughs) But, like, worse. But let's listen in. You should have heard that little girl. She cried for her mother for 45 minutes when the social worker took her. She was still crying. She's better off. What, growing up without a mother? Mother's a monster. I don't believe that. I think she was damaged a long time ago. I hope with some therapy she can straighten out and get her kid back. Well, you're more hopeful than I am, thank God. So I hear you're fostering Tatiana. You're gonna try and talk me out of it like everybody else? No, I think it's a wonderful thing what you're doing. Really? Absolutely, I always said you'd make a great mother. Doug? Yeah? Got a 16-year-old GSW to the neck, ETA seven minutes. Okay. Thanks. Please, no dead kids today. I feel like that's a pretty fair thing to wish for. Please, no dead kids today. (laughs) Also, I am so happy Doug has stopped being a total fucking creep. Like, we've had pretty good guy Doug the past few episodes. He and Carol have been getting along. He hasn't been hitting on her. Like, it's been good. He's behaved himself for the most part. So we go back and check in with Mr. Klein. Uh, Carter is checking in on him again. We find from find out from Connie that his BP, his blood pressure, is falling even further than it was already low when he came in. Um, and his respirations have decreased as well. So Connie, <laughs> who makes no effort to really like keep this out of earshot of the patient, not that he cares, he's on a DNR, but I don't know, I just felt like it was a little bit tactless that she's like, right out in the open in front of the patient. She's like, I don't think he'll make it till morning. This guy's definitely True. dead. But Carter, in a last-ditch effort to try to connect with this guy, um, has brought him some books from the hospital library, which he proceeds to throw to the floor one by one <laughs> as Carter is showing them to him until he gets to the last one, which he clearly has some sort of personal connection to, but we don't actually get to see which, what that book is or what the title is, but it clearly has some sort of personal meaning to him. Um, and again, just like no words needed, nothing other than body language. And he just conveys so much emotion. And it's just like, you really are watching like a master class here. Yeah. When he takes that last book and actually stop, like is about to throw it and then stops 
and starts to flip to like the first pages my heart was just like oh sweet baby yeah yeah but at the tail end of this scene we have benton coming in and he is none too thrilled with carter so let's listen to them have a have a little chat oh god excuse me for a second Did you do the history of physical on the leg pain in two? Not yet. I was about to, but I thought I'd spend a little bit more time with Mr. Klein. Well, that woman's been waiting half an hour. So why are you wasting time on the DNR? Because he's dying and he has no family. Mm-hmm. Carter, this is your surgical rotation, not pastoral care. It's not your job to become this man's family. Dr. Ben, I think there's more to patient care than just cutting them open. Mm-hmm. And that's what nurses are for. So, do the agent pee on the leg pain and renew everyone's meds. We got a drunk to stitch up. Stitch him up. Just, God damn it, Benton. Like, does he have any empathy whatsoever? I was about to say, you soulless asshole. Like, is he just completely detached from the human condition at this point? Mostly, yeah. Apparently. I mean, and I, from the standpoint of, you know, he's a surgeon, I guess I sort of understand. I mean, look, I mean, we've seen over and over again with some of the attempts at humor from the ERs. I mean, medical people in general do have to develop a certain level of disconnect from humans in general. Like they have to, in order to survive because they're surrounded by, you know, death and disease all the time. So if they developed emotional connections to every single patient, they would be miserable. And a lot of them are, but like in particular case of Benton and surgical people, you know, like they've got to cut, on people they're seeing the worst of the worst you know so they do sort of see them as a collection of limbs and conditions and you know it's it's cold to people like us who are you know always looking to develop those emotional connections but from his perspective he's just trying to find the best best way to do his job and keep his sanity and also too i think benton kind of enjoys it because benton's a little bit of a sociopath I maybe wouldn't go that far, but yeah, he's definitely just a bit extreme with Carter here because we know Carter's sweet baby middle part. We know he has got a big heart and like, that's going to be one of his strengths as a doctor moving forward is going to be like, that's going to be the thing that saves Carter again and again in this job is his heart and to see how often it's tried to be squashed out of him in these first seasons. It's just, it's really important because it frames a lot of the struggles he ends up with later on, I would say. Mm -hmm. But then John Koch shows up again and again, acting as everybody's fairy godmother, telling them exactly what he, what, what they want to hear. He's like, gosh, it's such a shame that we try to impersonalize healthcare at every turn. We make death a non-event. We call it coding, not dying. We like come up with all these euphemisms and... You know, at my new hospital, it's not going to be that way. We're going to allow it to be the moment that it is. Like, telling Carter exactly what he wants to hear, too. Carter's like, wow, that would be great. Just really not dehumanizing death. So doing the exact opposite of what you just talked about, Daniel. Right. <laughs> Mr. MIT wants to make it all Patch Adams. <laughs> but yeah. And then we go outside because Mark and Doug are waiting for the gunshot victim to come in and an old cta car goes by above the above them on the the l track now here's my question because i've seen online um 
Is that spot that they're standing, is that an actual outside shot in Chicago, or is that, that looks a set like it. That, or is it the set that they've done? No, no, that looks like it. It looks like a pink line train. Because I know that they have built some, like, L sets. Yeah, but that everything. one's very distinctive, though, and it's one that gets used repeatedly, and I, I want to say that is more... That set you're thinking of is much more, um, like, Abbey era than it is this era true like it it doesn't start popping up until i would say like season seven or so yeah okay but either way they're talking about the possibility of kenosha as an option for mark and jen and like you know oh it it could work it really is the best solution it's an hour for each of us it's not too bad like we you know we get to live together again i'll get to see rachel more everything will be fine you know, we'll be able to, like, there's a great lake out there. And Mark's really just talking himself into it. And then he's like, who is this Diane Leeds who keeps calling? Um, are you going to, you going to ask her out? Like, you guys, you guys involved? What's going on? And Doug's like, nah, you know, I haven't really. And Mark's like, what, you haven't asked her out? And Doug's like, yeah, I don't like rejection. <laughs> and it's just sweet because it's like, you don't ever think of Doug as the kind of guy who's used to getting rejected except by Carol. And no matter how casual it was, technically his relationship with Linda never actually ended. Like, we should continue to Truth. remember that. Like, that still, t- like, that thread still has never been picked up on. But, you know, I digress. But and going back yeah. to Mark briefly, like, he's making the same mistakes just with a different situation this time like he's still doing the like unilateral decision making of just like putting the cart before the horse like he's got all of these grand ideas about how perfect this is going to be and how well it's going to work and everything's going to be magical and wonderful and I'll never have to worry about it again and he's doing all of this in his own head and not talking to her about it like he's not including her in the thought process whatsoever I'm incredibly guilty of this, and so are certain members of my family who listen to this podcast. I love you. Um, And we call this in my family catapulting. It is a trait (laughs) that apparently runs through the women in my family. And to all of our partners, I apologize, because we get real set on an idea, and we get real excited about an idea, and we carry out said idea. And it's not always the great idea we think it is. And and if you can't carry out said idea, you get very grumpy about it. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you hit the target. Other times you hit the brick wall next to the target. (laughs) And sometimes you land in the mud. But yeah, it's putting the cart before the horse is the nice way to say it. But we catapult in my family. And it is a very unpleasant experience for all involved. I love you. Lizzie has had to deal with um, gently untying my catapult strings a lot of the time before I even get airborne. She's, they're very good about reeling me back in and going, maybe that's not a great idea. Maybe we should consider all of our options. But that's not fun. I want my instant gratification. This is America. I want it now. Exactly. So enough about me and my family uh, <laughs> and Lizzie and how great our relationship is. We find out that the 16-year-old that was coming in with a gunshot wound was shot by a cop. And people say this show isn't political. Um, the cop comes in behind him on another ambulance. They're both real fucked up. We're going to find out what's happening, but they're both real fucked up. Then we go over. Benton is trying to stitch up that aforementioned person when he was talking with Carter, uh, the drunk guy. And, and he's asleep. <laughs> they're both asleep. This is a great shot. Yeah, they're both. Gently snoring, both sort of just sitting up, 
been thankfully Benton doesn't have like any sharp instruments in his hand. He's his hands are just off to the side and isn't isn't he kind of drooling a little bit too? A little bit. But while Benton is taking out his little nap nap, his pager starts to go off and he doesn't even hear it. No, but the drunk guy is like just goes, Hey, hey, you're this then like tries to like hit Benton with his pager a little bit and it's like doesn't really say it, but it's like your thing he's going off uh, dude, come on. And does successfully wake him up, but Benton is clearly not all there anymore. Like, he is hitting his fucking brick fucking wall. He's done. So, again, is this going to be where there's consequences for Benton? Nope. Nope. We'll find out. Um, Benton runs into the trauma. We find out the cop took the bullet straight to the heart. Susan calls for the thoracotomy tray, and they're like, where the fuck is Benton? So Benton runs in. He's the only surgeon for both rooms. Um, The 16-year-old only has a wound in his neck, but Carol can't compress any harder or she'll lead to a stroke because it would be limiting the blood flow up to the brain. Um, I just wrote down, Benton's gonna fuck this up. Like, I was so concerned that this was gonna be where the shoe was gonna drop for him. He instantly is like, okay, we gotta clamp the major artery in this guy's neck to keep him from bleeding out limiting the blood to his brain but at the same time he's like he's 16 he's got a lot of peripheral arteries he'll be fine in the time that we need to get shit fixed and then so he quick has them clamp the artery runs over to the cop so when he's operating on the cop he is operating on this dude's heart in the middle of a trauma room in the er not a sterile or he is in the middle of this filthy ass gross trump like used regularly trauma room cutting this guy's heart open to like what extract the bullet and stop the bleeding essentially yeah yeah to be to be fair they do this quite a lot throughout the entire series i know but but it's still gross i know it's like the worst is when like they actually get like when they start to do stuff with like the sternal saws once those come in Eh. and like you can actually like see the heart beating as they're trying to do stuff with like the aorta when they do more of their effects work yeah yeah when they really step up their game with that and also when the you know the medical technology comes along for it too yep so hicks walks in as benton's in the middle of fixing this guy's goddamn heart and benton's like oh or (laughs) hicks is like oh looks like that rest really did you some good benton hasn't napped at all (laughs) hicks you're an idiot he power napped there just there has to be some consequence here it's bullshit well i mean he's still gonna get some consequence it's just not won't be medical consequence of a patient in the er it'll just be somebody much much more important to him Uh-oh. but before we get there um doug finally talks or finally meets up with uh diane to talk about the uh the second altercation with bonnie's mom she comes in under the impression that he was the aggressor again but it turns out that no this time he's the victim um and he just comes right out and asks her out and she turns him down womp womp but you know good on doug for trying and he you know he he takes it mostly well like he he's not a like nice guy about it he does pretty all right one interesting note on diane that i didn't realize um but i discovered when i was doing research for the notes for this episode so the actress who plays diane um who i'm sure we mentioned when she debuted but um lisa zane is her name and she was actually one of the actresses who tested for the role of susan lewis 
Huh. So she today I learned she would have been a, a a potential alternative for Lewis. I I'll, you know obviously very happy with what we got with Sherry Stringfield, but it's just interesting to kind of play the what if game and try to imagine what she would have looked like in that role. Hmm. And then we have a little bit of Morgan Stern. Yay! But he's leaving the ER. The ho- he's but he's leaving the hospital. Boo. Ooh. But he's going to Harvard. So, ooh, Lottie frickin' da there, William H. Macy. <laughs> but he's talking with uh, Mark about the attending position. And he's like, he says to Mark, you know, it's almost a lock. And it's like, wait, what? Almost. Yeah, and you can you can suddenly see Mark just like <laughs> shitting his pants a little bit, just like uh-oh. screams internally. Just like, what do you mean? Almost, I'm ruining my marriage over this. <laughs> this is this is a. F- you just see the thought process go. <laughs> this is a little storyline wrinkle that I had forgotten about. You know, like this is because this leads to a another side storyline that kind of takes us through the rest of season one, um, maybe even briefly into season two, I can't remember. And then just kind of goes away and we kind of go back to normal. And it's a char- it, it brings us this, because of this little storyline wrinkle, we get brought a character who would otherwise I think be pretty forgettable, but he manages to show up a few more times down the road in various capacities. Like, they you know go taking it really far down the road like he even shows up at mark's like memorial like that's how and i'm not talking about morgan stern i'm talking about the the character that we get as a result of this little morgan stern wrinkle you know it's gonna be a really interesting to to see that dynamic because i when i watched the the show first run this character that we get from this was somebody that i didn't like and i thought was really a really strange fit and i thought like they were going to just move past it and like forget that he ever happened. And they just find reasons to like, keep bringing him back. Like at least one or two more times after that. It's, it's kind of interesting. I have no idea who the fuck you're talking about. Like, I thought you were talking about Carrie at first, but no. And it can't be Anspa. No, it's not Anspa. We're, we're still, Anspa we're still a little ways off from Anspa. Replace William H. Macy. Won't he? Um, eventually. Yes. But we're we're still a little ways off from that. This is a character, like I said, it's it's so brief. I honestly think, and this is just me like freestyling here. I honestly think that this character is going to join us before the end of season one, and he will be gone by the beginning of season two. I really believe that that it's that brief. Like we've we've got maybe three or four episodes with him, and it's almost like they do like an about face where they're just like, well, that didn't work, so let's. Let's go back because this is not as much as you know it may seem like it right now. This is not the end of Morgan Stern. Morgan Stern is is going to be with us for at least a few more years. So this is even though they're basically coming out and saying he's leaving, he's not really leaving. So you know we'll see how it what? plays out. Yeah, he's not leaving. This this does not. I mean, he may leave briefly, but he's not. The character is not gone by any stretch of the imagination. I knew that. I knew he popped up every now and then, but I'm just trying to... Who the fuck are you talking about? We'll have to wait and see. You bitch. (laughs) But this is America. I want it now. (laughs) Yeah, didn't we just go over this? That's what we call a tease. Bitch. Uh, So then we go... We check back in with Carter and Mr. Klein, and we see Carter sitting by his bedside in the soft light, reading to him from that book that he had held on to 
and Carter is just taking his time reading with a really nice cadence and just, you know, really trying to be there in the moment for this gentleman. And towards one of the last few moments of this shot, we see Mr. Klein's hand go up and it sets on the bed rail and then he reaches and he holds Carter's closest hand. And Carter pauses for a moment and then kind of squeezes his hand and then continues reading while they hold hands. And it's just a very beautiful moment. And this is where I almost cried. This is where I almost lost my shit in the episode. Yeah. Because, like, Carter's humanity, Carter's heart, Carter's soul, as I said earlier and as I'm going to say again, is what makes him a brilliant doctor. And the fact that he holds on to that in this episode is wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a heartbreaking heartbreaking moment with Carter and Mr. Klein. And I really almost lost my shit. Then after that, we have Carter in the lounge writing up his charts for the day and just some superb acting from Noah Wiley. So let's let's give it a listen. Carter, did you do notes on all your patients? I'm doing them now. They're supposed to be in by end of shift. Looks like you've just begun. The first thing in the morning. You'll be up all night. That's what happens when you spend too much time with one patient. Consider it time well spent. He, um, he died 10 minutes ago. Carter, why did you put in for a surgical sub-internship? Because I want to be a surgeon. You're wasting your time. You don't think like a surgeon. Why, because I don't think like you. I'd like those notes first thing in the morning. Okay. To be fair, Benton is totally right with that. Oh, yeah, 100%. How so? That he doesn't have the competitiveness. He doesn't necessarily have the... He doesn't have the mindset to be a surgeon, at least with the culture of surgeons that's at this hospital. He does not fit into that. And we will see more of that as his training continues and he does eventually try his hand at cutting people open up in a contained operating room. But yeah, no, God, that that's probably my favorite Carter moment to date. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Just, just the heartbroken why, because I don't think like you. Yeah, and the little, the little quiver in his voice through the whole scene. It's probably the first time, the first real time that we've seen Carter like stand up for himself a little bit, it's particularly with Benton. You know, like it's there's there's been little glimpses of you know like hey, aren't you supposed to be my teacher and stuff like that, where he's he's kind of tried, but he gets shouted down. And here, I think, is the first time where he really, like, stands up for himself and kind of, like, wins almost. Like, you know, he doesn't back down when Benton comes back at him. And Benton, rather yeah. than rather than returning the volley, Benton just sort of is like, you know, I'm going to leave you alone. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, Benton actually backs down for once. Yeah, yeah I can totally see why this is no Wiley's favorite episode especially as we get into the sort of the end game of the episode we have a couple more audio clips for you but that are a bit longer but we'll get to those in a little bit yeah i'm gonna say for the rest of this episode it kind of to me felt like i was watching return of the king where there are about eight different times where i thought it was over and then another scene would start it seems to be a recurring theme in these episodes lately this one specifically like more so to me at least yeah, this this could have easily in a different episode. This could have easily been the end. Yeah, there are several spots here where it definitely feels like it could be over. <laughs> so then Carol goes back to the foster home to visit with Tatiana, and 
the social worker that had taken Tatiana from the hospital was there. And it's like, oh, Carol, can I talk to you for a moment? And Carol is told that CFS can't place Tatiana with her because of her suicide attempt, what, nine months ago, they say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So because or less, less than, than a year. year. Yeah. Because because of her suicide attempt. And the woman is like, well, maybe if it had been three or more years ago, we could talk about it. But it's so, you know, it's still so recent. And Carol's like, but, you know, I've done everything. I'm doing the work. I'm at work. I'm going to therapy. And the woman's just like, I'm sorry, but, you know, we can't. We just can't. And it absolutely breaks Carol's heart. And so she leaves and she goes and we see her go and sit on a bench out in the park and it's snowy and she's just crying and trying to figure out what the fuck's going on because her heart is just broken and she is absolutely devastated. And to contrast that, uh, we just cut over to Doug just fucking straight up straddling a fucking gurney doing his charts in the trauma room and it looks quite loose. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty inappropriate. Like, I just, how is that comfortable? He's Yeah, he's not, like, sitting on the end of it using a tray pulled up. He is just straddling it with probably a good six inches of the gurney left at the foot. He, it's just, no. Ow. <laughs> and just doing one of those, his notes on one of those, um, like, the trays with all the instruments on it, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. those. I, I think he's doing, not his charts, but I think it's his, um, his statement for Diane. Oh, yeah, well... St- but yeah, um, and then Diane, Miss Diane Leeds, uh, comes back and yeah, he says he's working on a statement. Then she just simply says, next Friday for dinner. And they have a little bit of nice little witty, flirty banter back and forth. But Doug's finally getting it again after like being off for like two episodes and not <laughs> being with a beautiful woman. Whoa. No, but they just have some, they just have some playful banter and... You know, she eventually says, "I don't think I, I don't think I like the the way this day is starting out." Because she, he kind of just like playfully makes fun of her. You know, he says, "Well, it'll get better," and she's, "Well, we'll see." <laughs> They're gonna fuck. <laughs> As if there was any doubt. So we're starting to wrap things up with Benton, and we see that he's finally getting home. Uh, Walt is waiting for him because uh, Jackie and the kids have gone out to a cottage on the lake. And Walt, not wanting to go with them, uh, has decided to go ice fishing instead. But he can't leave until Benton gets home and takes care of Mama Benton. So Benton comes home. Uh, Walt tells him that, you know, hey, you got to be make sure you get up 6 a.m. sharp. She wants her medicine like as soon as she wakes up. So Benton's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll set the alarm. Just kind of blows him off and is like, he's still clearly like absolutely exhausted. Like he's like rubbing his face and like he's just completely out of it and then walt leaves we kind of leave leave benton here for the moment but i feel like this is definitely where benton's gonna fuck something up like this is the if it, if it wasn't anything more if it, i don't think it could be any higher stakes for him than than when it comes to mama benton yeah it's it's gotta happen yeah but then we go over to our next audio clip doug is awoken by a knock at his door in the middle of the night and oh no it's Carol. All right. <clears throat> Hi. Carol. Can I? Yeah. Yeah, come on. 
What is it? I lost her. I've been in therapy. I've worked hard for nine months. It doesn't matter. All they care about is that I took some pills. Who? Miss Brown, foster care. Tatiana? They won't let me have her. Okay. It's like I'm defective or something, you know? No, no, no. Oh. I mean, God, I'm kidding myself. You know that I could do this. It's so stupid. Sure. Ice cold. You should have seen her, Doug. I mean, she's seven years old. I tried to, to explain it to Carol, her. And hey, I... listen to me. It's not your fault. You hear me? It's not your fault. But I promised her I'd be there. Now I'm not going to be there. I couldn't have known. God. Maybe. Maybe I. I shouldn't have thought about doing this. No. You were exactly what she needed. You're the only person who thinks that. Oh, I know you. Can I stay here? Has Tag heard yet? I've never wanted her. Why don't I drive you home? Okay. Okay. I know. Good boy, Doug. I think I would go out on a limb and say this is Doug's finest moment thus far. Like this is yeah. Th- this is definitely peak Doug since the pilot. Yep, she goes in to try and kiss him in a moment of weakness. He stops her and offers to take her home. So good. Doing the exact right thing, both as, you know, as her friend and as him not wanting to fuck up her emotional state anymore by complicating it. with. As someone who truly loves her, as far as we know, he's actually looking out for her instead of for what he wants. Yeah. And she is acting her ass off in that scene there, too. She's oh, yeah. like fake crying is not easy. You know, like it's the 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 acting crying is not easy. And she does a very good job of making that believable. Yeah. That little squeak. Yes. When he says, maybe I should drive you home. And you just hear her go. Yes. <laughs> she starts breaking down again. It's so good. These two are dynamite. And then we go back to John Kosh. Coach, Coach, Koch. I can't do it. Why Why do I have such a block on this I don't guy's know, name? But I, John Koch. I appreciate that you find a new way to pronounce it every time he comes up. My shame. This is what I'm getting for dying on the hill last week, isn't it? Um, yep. John Koch is now talking to Susan again about the hospital. And he's like, you know, we have a lot of people lined up who are interested and you know, would you be interested? Would you want to come join? And she's like, well, I would, I would pretend, you know, I, I am interested. And she's like, I'd have to think about it. And then as she's saying that two orderlies from the psych ward come down and stand on either side of Mr. Jonathan. And they're like, oh, we found him. Yeah, this is his new, his new thing. And she's like, no, he's from MIT. And as, as she's saying it, they finish the sentence 
And it's like, oh, shit, he's a resident up in the psych ward. Like, he's really smart. He's really, he reads a lot of books, and that's how he has all this knowledge. But he's he's just a long-term, or, like, it's implied he's a long-term or regular um, and, and inpatient. So he just has grand delusions and, like, is essentially a pathological liar and tries to rope people in on them. So although he was giving a lot of people some really good advice, he is not actually a doctor working with MIT. Poor Susan. She can't catch a break. And then for our final audio clip of the episode, Mark gets home and Jen is there. And she's just sitting in the dark, all by herself, fully dressed. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Let's find out. Hey, I didn't expect you. Where's Rach? I didn't bring her. We need to talk. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I can't do this anymore, Mark. Not living together, never seeing each other. I know, so let's stop it. You're willing to leave the hospital? A compromise. We can live between Chicago and Milwaukee, Kenosha. It's just an hour each direction. Oh, we could be a family again. Mark. What? It can work. You want me to commute two hours a day so you can take a job? So we can all be together again. That's two hours less for Rachel. My God, it's bad enough she's not growing up with her father. Whose fault is that, huh? It's your idea to go to Milwaukee. Would you rather I leave her here with you? Do you know that in seven years you've never given anything up for me? Why are you so intent on making me give up a job I've spent years trying to get? You do what you want, when you want, and you just expect me and Rachel to be there for you when you have time for us. Chad, come on. I don't think we're going to make it, Mark. Well, we're going to make it. No, this isn't working. So we'll make it work. We win a year, we can go another year. Mark. Well, I'll do better, okay? I'll come up more often. Rachel, she can come down here. You're not listening. Okay, I, I am. I'm listening. I'm leaving you. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. We thought it took a little longer than 18 episodes. Yeah, well, some say it was 18 episodes too long. <laughs> some say it was seven years too long. Whew, yeah. This, you know, uh, I can't say I'm sad. I'm, the, these two are so clearly, like, not right for each other that it's it's not at all surprising. Make way for the Elizabeth Corday train. Choo-choo! <laughs> we still got a few... There's some other misguided things. I was going to say, we, we got a few seasons and a few ill-advised uh, flings in the middle before we get yeah. there. And one really ill-advised facial hair choice. And <laughs> The goatee? Yep. Oh, God, I forgot about the goatee. Oh, God. How could you forget about the goatee? See, and I was sitting here thinking about the Mariska Hargitay 
brief storyline and then the thinking about the re- the really brief and really ill-advised uh chuny fling which comes completely out of nowhere i forgot about that comes completely out of nowhere and is like super weird just all right <sighs> that one's just that one's just funny yeah but all right so wrapping up the episode here we see benton is asleep on the couch full on like I call it ugly sleeping. Like he is just like when you're so tired that you don't even care what position you're in or, you know, whether you have a blanket or anything, you just pass out. And we hear mama Benton in the background yelling for first Jackie and then Peter that she wants her medicine. And then we hear a thud and Oh no, mama Benton has fallen down the stairs. No. And it still takes Benton a few seconds after that to register that something is wrong and then he once he does like he springs up off the couch and runs over to check on her and then of course rushes her you know calls the ambulance rush rush her into the er and of course carter is there when they bring her in and this is yet another just like 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 lord was saying you know there's so many different endings like we, we talked about this either last episode or a couple episodes ago where, you know, there felt like there was so many different possibilities for an ending, but that they did ultimately land on the right one. And I feel like it's the same thing here. Like that this was, this was the right spot to end on. This was the right note to end on. You just see the ultimate culmination of, of all the building kind of tension and dread around Benton's lack of sleep. And, you know, Carter gets to have his little moment here and it's it's just a really strong it's not a good note it's not a happy note to end on but it's a very strong one to end on you know benton just we we kind of end with benton just looking shell-shocked like he's so overwhelmed he can't even talk and it's just really amazing to see carter take control in that situation just like okay benton is basically non-functional right now so we're just we just we're just gonna do this we're gonna fucking do this let's go right yeah which is I, i think an extension of the previous conversation that they had you know that benton is so locked in on the i don't know how to say it but like he he's so locked in on on just the science of everything and how you know it's it's not about emotion at all it's just strictly about the you know point a to point b to point c thing that you know with carter this this is where you see that emotional touch kind of override some of the science stuff like carter really falls back into that you know like he he immediately starts talking to mama benton he's like you know not that like they have this like established relationship but she has at least met him before so he's like you know hey it's me john carter i'm gonna help you like you know he immediately falls into that like soothing bedside manner thing that benton just would never be able to do and so you kind of see like the the failure of the lack of emotion approach and the you know benefits of having more of a personal connection to your patient just to look on benton's face here as he watches like carter and everybody take care of his mom just the sheer shock yeah at how much he failed when it really counted yeah like he's been doing all this to sacrifice shift trades to be there for his mom and then when he needed to be there for her for her the most he couldn't be Superman gets confronted with his own, you know, sort of humanity. Like, I can't do everything. I can't be everywhere all the time. I am fallible. This is a real good one. Yeah. No, this one is definitely number number. Two, I'd say second place so far. 
for me. Yeah. Second only to Blizzard. It's it's top tier for me. Um, I don't know exactly. I couldn't tell you specifically where it fits in. I will say that, you know, again, doesn't have to, the, the Mr. Klein doesn't say a single word, manages to convey, you know, probably some of the most emotion we've had out of any guest star. And I think I would put him right behind Madame X, uh, Rosemary Clooney for me as my like second favorite guest star slash patient we've had thus far. Like he just manages to be so impactful without having to say a single word. It is a very powerful performance for sure. But we got the episode of season one coming up next week. Like you think this was good. And I mean, yes, this one is good. The next one is also good, but it's in a different way. And it's in a like very emotion. Like next one is the emotional center of the last stretch of season one here. Like this is like to give you an idea, the next episode in 1997, I believe TV guide did their list of the hundred best TV episodes of all time. Next week's episode came in at number three. What? I know it's, when I've been looking at the IMDb page, it's far and away the highest rated one. Yeah, it is. By like 0. 0.5 or something like that. Like 8.7 versus like 8.2 is the next highest one. It's one that sticks with you for a little bit afterwards. Okay, well, we will look forward to that. But do you have anything to say? No, I just, I was really impressed when we were watching this one at like, because sometimes, you know, we watch and we get these stale ones that fall flat. But this one, I was like, we finished it. And I was like, I'm really excited to record and talk about this. Yeah. Like, there's just so many good beats, so many story developments, so many good character moments that just, that really push us along towards what's going to be the end of season one. And kind of, it's really starting to build the pieces for where we're going to end up for season two. Yeah, we're getting there. We're yep. only seven episodes away from the end. All right, then. Uh, that should just about wrap up our episode for today, then. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. You can find us on Twitter. We are at SetTheToneER. We are also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including special season recap episode, which is coming along, or which... which will be coming up here before long in the next couple months here and also a monthly bonus show where we just talk about whatever's going on for us in the moment with pop culture video games movies we've seen etc etc and as of i believe this recording by the time this is out we should be offering to all patrons even at the one dollar level access to our show notes so you can see you know what we decided was important from the episode to talk about and what's and what we actually plan to say versus our lovely... It's a little peek into how the sausage gets made. Yeah, there you go. That's a good way to put it. Uh, so that will be available. That should be available by the time this episode is out uh, for all patrons $1 and up. So get a little something just for the price of a candy bar each month. We give you, give you a little peek behind the scenes. So hopefully you find that to be a little bit worth it. Our theme music today is provided by Andrew is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at uh, Dan That is Y O U E L. You can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell. We put a different pop culture topic on uh, a through a little mock trial each week. We're actually going to be getting ready to do a. By the time this comes out. 
we should have one in the can already, um, a new episode type. Um, we've done some music episodes in the past. Um, Lizzie has been uh, with us on one uh, specifically on new metal. Uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be doing a different type of music episode, um, looking specifically at a particular album in a different band's uh, discography. You know, so um, just picking hmm. picking an album, going track by track, and kind of giving it the same sort of snap judgment that we did on our traditional music episodes. Um, so the first one we have in the can, or the first one that we plan on having in the can uh, in this format, is going to be on Smash Mouth. And uh, yes, <laughs> they're, I think, 1997, I want to say, 97, 98 album, uh, Astro Lounge. <gasps> it's so good. I agree. I agree. So we're going to see what Jake thinks. But Fun fact, I used a copy of Astro Lounge as a wheel on a like little like mechanical car that we made in science class <laughs> in the eighth grade. So that I destroyed with a firecracker. Oh, Astro Lounge deserved better. Uh, and Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me tweeting about the merits of Smash Mouth at my personal Twitter, at Lobob92345. And you can find me not t- uh, tweeting about Smash Mouth. I am at RandomGamer on Twitter. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for episode 19, and have a great week. Bye.